Against the Odds, AHC's inaugural podcast series featuring the true stories of real-life bands of brothers who exhibited unparalleled bravery, solidarity, and endurance on the battlefield to come out on top in a fight against impossible odds. Reliving battles from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq, these are true stories of the harsh realities of war, as told by the veterans who survived to tell. I'm your host, Shane Bowler, and this week we present Those Damned Engineers. In December of 1944, as Allied forces close in on Germany, Adolf Hitler launches one final, desperate attack. The Battle of the Bulge, as it will be known, will be the largest and deadliest of the entire war. But unknown to the world, a small band of American combat engineers with little to no training in battle, have taken on the might of Hitler's forces. This is the true story of how this tiny group of inexperienced combat troops stood against impossible odds and changed the course of World War II. Against the Odds presents Those Damned Engineers. For almost five years, Hitler has dominated the brutal Second World War. His armies have ruthlessly conquered and enslaved the lives of more than 200 million people. But in June of 1944, with the Allied landing in Normandy, followed by their extraordinary sweep across Europe, Hitler's great war machine is being destroyed. He must watch as the Allies retake France, Belgium, and the Netherlands all the while smashing his armies and moving closer to the motherland. But fate will hand Hitler one last chance to save his beloved Germany. After months of intense fighting, the extraordinary Allied advances into Europe have dangerously overstretched their supply lines and exhausted the fighting men. Under strength and in desperate need of time to regroup, the massive Allied armies grind to a halt. In contrast to the attrition of soldiers slugging it out in daily death matches, is the vast complex of support groups working behind the front lines. A more colorful group could not be found than the combat engineers. Colonel Rod Pascal, Military History Quarterly, 
The squad members of these small 12, 13-man squads were primarily trained in construction and only very lightly trained in combat skills, such as the operation of machine guns and rifles and small unit tactics. They didn't spend much time on that at all. Young Colonel David Pergren, commanding the 291st, has less than 200 men. Smart and fiercely independent, Pergren's outfit, while young in age and inexperienced in warfare, are experts in the dangerous job of explosives and demolition. Francis Hurd, a technician in the 291st. Called us the Bastard Battalion. We were floaters. We was just attached to any outfit. We are all stuck together, worked together, fought together. As delays in resupply stretch into December, a thick fog, typical of the season, settles in over the battlefield. At England's Snetterden Heath Airfield, Allied Air Reconnaissance flights, critical to the battlefield, are canceled as weather continues to worsen. Entrenched, exhausted, and without aerial reconnaissance, the Allied front lines have become virtually blind and increasingly vulnerable. But just beyond the edge of their front lines, masked by the thick December fog, is a growing menace, more treacherous than any of them could have imagined. Hitler, defiant and resilient to the end, seizes opportunity that a slowing Allied front provides. He initiates a daring plan to turn the tide of the war back in his favor, with a stunning new offensive that will take the Allies completely by surprise. With utmost secrecy and cloaked in the thick December fog, Hitler has positioned an incredible quarter of a million troops and 4,000 tanks directly in front of his enemies. He will launch them in a surprise attack against the weakened Allied front in an effort to push them back and open an uncontested avenue through which the lead assault unit under Lieutenant Colonel Joachim Piper will race to capture the critical Allied supply port at Antwerp. This move will trap four complete Allied armies behind the new German front robbing the Allies of precious war supplies, installing disastrously and indefinitely the Western Allied advance. Confident the shocking victory will paralyze the demoralized Western Allies and split them from their Russian counterparts, he will gain precious time necessary to rebuild his decimated troops and create larger, more powerful weapons that can then be used to defeat the Russians now void of Allied support. The date of attack is set for Saturday, December 16th. It will place the small squad of 291st engineers directly in the kill zone. Bob Cresswell, a technician in the 291st. We thought the war was over. And 
they had the guys running sawmills. And what the idea was, the war was over, they're going to build barracks for the army of occupation, which would be coming after the war was over. You could watch the Germans on the other, over in the other field, milling around. And they weren't worried about us. They had the guys scattered all along the line. They didn't have any defense up there. They too thought the war was over. But then we found out it wasn't. December the 16th, Battle of the Bulge started. We knew something was going to happen, but we didn't know for sure what it would be. Sat there shivering and waiting, waiting, looking, and just waiting for something to happen. Railroad guns fired two shells in the top. Lieutenant Lawrence came in and said, the Germans are coming our way. Make sure that you have the right equipment, that you have the vines with you. As planned, Hitler's surprise attack quickly overwhelms the thinly held American lines that fight hard, but are pushed back with great losses. To the south, German units tied down Patton's Third Army and Montgomery's British forces to the north. They create a bulge in the American line for Piper and his race towards Antwerp. The only thing that stands in his way are the 291st Engineers. Located 20 miles from the German front in Malmedy, Belgium. 291st, they got their orders to move into Malmody. Everybody else had moved out. I dare say there wasn't over a, a hundred of us guys, and we were supposed to hold the city, protect the city at all costs. We uh, set up our roadblocks, laid our minefields, we didn't have no ammunition to speak of. Or just very, very little. Everybody had their M1s, and we had three machine guns for each company. I'm not sure how many bazookas we had, maybe a half a dozen. We took everything we had and set up our roadblocks, defended the city. Patrick Rizzieri, a squad leader in the 291st. We knew that we were up against a massive horde of Germans, but we didn't know how many, because we didn't know where they were coming from, how many troops they had. We knew they had tanks and so forth, you know. Uh, it was always dangerous. 
Bergeron and his small band of engineers, less than 150 men, have no idea that the spearhead of Hitler's last hope for Germany, Lieutenant Colonel Joachim Piper's 4,500 SS troops and 90 tanks, are headed directly towards them. We would never say, oh, we can't do this, get out of here. No one took off. We always stayed with the outfit from the beginning to the end. Outmanned and outgunned, the engineers are about to enter into the realm of legends in one of the greatest David versus Goliath fights of World War II. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Every day was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. Field reports say German tanks have battered into Bastogne and swept on to within 20 feet. Indicates that if the Germans are moving at even half their announced speed of a mile an hour, they may by now have reached France itself. December 16, 1944, the Western Front. As the Battle of the Bulge rages, the tip of the German spear, Piper's battle group, is racing to reach the River Meuse, the halfway point to his goal of Antwerp, within 24 hours. Hitler has made his instructions to Piper clear. Be ruthless in your pursuit, take no prisoners, and bring me Antwerp. Quickly, Piper overruns Bouchol's station and captures portions of an American unit. The prisoners are executed. Then Piper captures American fuel depots at Honsfeld and 50,000 gallons of diesel fuel. Again, American prisoners are executed and all Allied armored units are destroyed. Soon after, Piper overruns U.S. fuel depots at Bullingen. Once again, American prisoners are executed. On December 17th, Piper encounters elements of the U.S. 7th Armored Division outside Malmody. Nearby, on the outskirts of the city, lies the command post of the 291st. With communications in shambles, the 291st combat engineers are secluded and out of touch. The tiny unit is unaware that the deadly tip of Hitler's enormous force is already at their doorstep. We could hear shots, but we didn't know what was going on. Colonel Pergen, he went up there to check out, see what it was. 
At 11 a.m., unsure of events taking place, Colonel Pergrin heads towards Malmody and the sounds of gunfire. And he found three survivors. That was really when we found out what had happened. When I first got there, it was just a whole field full of dead Americans. As he had at Hansfeld, Piper, in search of gas and supplies for his massive force, overwhelmed an American observation battalion and slaughtered them. These chappies were out picking up the American guys that were killed. And uh, they were taking them and throwing them in the back of a truck, you know, and just piling them up to get them out of there. And it, that didn't seem quite right. Sorry. So I went down there and I says, okay, which one of you want to get shot first? What do you mean you get shot? I says, that's an American GI. You handle him the way you try. But it was it was a terrible thing, all them GIs. This war must be waged, it is being waged with the greatest and most persistent intensity. Everything we are, everything we have is at stake. Everything we are and have will be given. We have no question of the ultimate victory. We have no question of the cost. Our losses will be heavy, but we and our allies will go on fighting together to ultimate total victory. The Malmody Massacre shows the engineers firsthand the terror their enemy is willing to unleash. Pergrin is at a crossroads. His 291st engineers are a support unit, not a combat unit, and they are certainly no match in manpower or firepower against the thousands of SS troops and hundreds of German tanks. But unwilling to do nothing, Pergrin realizes that fate has handed his 291st one critical asset, geography. The terrain between Piper and Antwerp is cut by an extensive network of rivers and streams. Driven by necessity to capture large fuel depots en route to Antwerp, Piper must cross those rivers and streams. And to do so, he will need intact bridges, 
and that will be his Achilles heel. So begins one of the great cat and mouse games of World War II. The 291st, on their own initiative, form a seemingly impossible plan. Pergrin, guessing at Piper's route, breaks up his 291st into small squads and sends them racing ahead of Piper's speeding armor to mine and then blow those critical bridges to smithereens in the hopes that they will delay Piper long enough for the major allied armies to catch up and annihilate his massive force before they can reach Antwerp. What little Pergram did was take the bull by the horns, sending of people to bridge sites. He did that on his own authority. He was never ordered to assume any sort of a combat position. At that time, he had really turned this unit into a combat unit, not a support unit. We knew it was critical that we had to stop the Germans' advance. We took our mines that we had on there, took our ammunition, took our rifles, and each squad leader said, okay, you have this position, that position, that position. You see a column of tanks coming down the road, and that, that makes you leery, because what do we do? We can't do nothing. All we got is a couple of BARs. Pergrin, having dispatched his men throughout the Ardennes, has kept most of his unit in defensive positions around Malmody, where he believes Piper will make first contact. As the men of the 291st brace themselves for what will surely be a death match, Piper has instead turned south towards Stavolo, not Malmody in Pergrin's dug-in positions. Pergrin is shocked. He became very alarmed because he had just placed a engineer squad at Stavlot, a major crossing point at the Emblev River. So the 291st has exactly one engineer squad under Sergeant Chuck Hensel, just beginning to rig Stavolo's bridge for demolition. As Piper's 4,500-man juggernaut close in on their first and most crucial bridge crossing towards Antwerp, Hensel's squad is waiting, all 13 of them. On the afternoon of December 17th, Joachim Piper and his massive battle group are racing towards the small hamlet of Stavolo and the bridge over the Amblee, critical to his capture of Antwerp by tomorrow evening. With some 4,500 SS troops and 90 tanks, he would have little concern if he knew that the only thing that stood between his panzers and Antwerp were just 13 men from the 291st. But as Piper will soon learn, they're not just any men. In Stavolo, racing to finish the rigging of the bridge over the Amblee for destruction, are Chuck Hensel and his 12-man squad. Outmanned and outgunned, they understand that Piper must not cross at Stavolo, no matter what the cost. I just can't tell you how great my squad was. When you live in 
eat for three years with a 12 men like I did, you get to know them. And wasn't anything that we ever got asked to do that we couldn't do. One great bunch of men. He sent out one scout, Private First Class Bernie Goldstein, to warn of any approaching German forces coming up from the south. Later on that night, Goldstein, by himself, armed only with an M1 rifle, was out front when he heard the rumble of tanks coming down the road towards Stavlo. He stepped out into the road, into the darkness, looked at the looming tank, and commanded this 90-tank convoy of German troops to halt. The German column stopped. Goldstein immediately runs to the rear, just in, uh, in front of a bazooka team. There was a 20-minute delay before they heard much of anything other than the idling of the tanks. Then they heard the uh, tanks beginning to back up. Piper had made a decision that since he didn't know what was at Stavlon, he decided that he would take that on in the morning in daylight and not attack at night. They all turned around and went back. If they had known what we had, they would have come right through. In the morning, an armored unit led by Major Paul Solis arrives and takes charge of the town. Believing that Piper's goal was never Stavolo, but instead a major American fuel dump just up the road, he quickly sends the bulk of his forces across the river to defend the fuel depot. Thinking the town is safe, Solis does not allow the engineers to blow the bridge at Stavolo. He keeps the bridge intact for his roadblock force to return. The engineers having rigged the bridge for a destruction of that bridge is not given instructions to blow it. 
but Solace has made a grave error in not blowing the bridge. Piper, as planned, strikes like a cobra. Spared by Solace's decision not to blow the bridge, Piper crosses over the dynamite-laden structure and speeds on towards Antwerp. For the engineers, they have lost their first battle in their life and death sprint with Piper. They now realize that if they are to stop him, they'll have to be even bolder. And with time running out, that's exactly what they plan to do. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Wherever there was hell. All of a sudden, Seems like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire is coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. As the Battle of the Bulge moves into its second day, a deadly game of cat and mouse has begun between Piper's battle group racing to Antwerp and Pergren's 291st engineers, hell-bent on stopping them. They had to find an easy way to get to Antwerp. We had to anticipate where they would be so we could blow up bridges and lay mines. As they came forward, we had to anticipate their every move. This became a tactical game of speed and who can get there first. Piper had to rush as quick as he could to get to the next bridge before Pergrin got there. If they destroyed those bridges, his mission would be severely jeopardized. Colonel Pergrin, guessing at Piper's route, sends two small squads towards the town of Three Bridges, in the hopes they can mine the bridges for destruction before a possible crossing by Piper. If Pergrin has guessed correctly, his tiny squads will be the only resistance standing in the way of Piper. Outmanned and outgunned, they will face the full brunt of Piper's ruthless SS troops, 
who have to date been unstoppable. On the morning of the 18th, there is no more guessing as to Piper's route. Pergrin was right. At 11 a.m., the first of Piper's 90 tanks entered the town of Three Bridges. You'd be sitting there, like waiting for a field call to go through the post. You're waiting for the right time for the tank to get there and hope your charge is wired right and it's going to blow okay. As the lead tank moves towards the engineer's first roadblock, they unleash an anti-tank round that knocks it off its tracks. The Panzer returns fire and scores a direct hit destroying the anti-tank gun and killing its crew. Abruptly, right in Piper's face, the main bridge over the Amblieve disappears in a fountain of rubble and dust. I watched the tank get on top of a bridge. We waited till he was crossing. We blew the bridge. Piper still had an ace in the hole. Earlier, he had sent an infantry unit a mile south of Three Bridges. If you crossed there, you could get behind the uh, Three Bridges area. German officers came forward to inspect the bridge. What they didn't realize, there was a sergeant from the uh, 291st in the bushes with a detonator in his hand. The sound of the Somme River Bridge going up in smoke echoes across the mile to Piper and his SS troops. With hopes for a crossing at either bridge now destroyed, an angered piper is heard to say, Vermitin engineers, those damned engineers. Piper thought they'd go right to Antwerp, you know, without any hesitation. He thought that we would be easy capture, but our small outfit, we'd be held in back some. They just thought that's great, we got that done because she was always worried about what was coming next. Well, I got through that, am I gonna get through the next one? For the engineers, there's little time to savor their victory. Piper is still rampaging towards Antwerp. The engineers must once again guess at his plans, then fight against the brutal weather terrible roads and pitiful communications to stay ahead of him. With surprise no longer on their side, Piper, vengeful and brutal, will make sure the next time they meet, the engineers will pay with their lives. By day three of the Battle of the Bulge, 600,000 GIs are engaged in the battle. 
10,276 of them will perish. Have paid a heavy price in the loss of life. Final job, the toughest job, has been performed by the average, easygoing, hard fighting young American who carries the weight of battle on his own shoulders. It is to him that we and all future generations of Americans must pay grateful tribute. While Pergrin and his men of the 291st have successfully prevented Piper's battle group from crossing the Amblieve and Salm rivers, Piper is still relentless in his pursuit of Antwerp. With time running out, Pergrin gambles everything on what he believes will be Piper's next move. If they have guessed wrong, they will have missed their last chance to stop him. Bergeron sends Staff Sergeant Edwin Pig and his eight-man squad racing to the Leanne Creek Bridge, where he believes Piper will try to cross. Fighting bad weather and poor roads, Pig will need nothing short of a miracle to win the race with Piper. And he gets it. The long Piper column desperately races towards Antwerp. The thick cloud cover finally clears just enough for a couple of daring P-47 Thunderbolt fighters flying at less than 100 feet to deliver the miracle the 291st was hoping for. destroy three of Piper's tanks, but the bombing has discombobulated the Armada, causing a critical delay in their race to the Leanne Creek Bridge. Pig's nine-man squad from the 291st finish mining the bridge and wait. Just five short months ago, they had been behind the front lines as a support unit. Now, they stand guard over a frozen bridge as the only force between Hitler's march of tyranny and allied victory. This day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Leave them straight At 10 a.m. on December 18th, just as Pergrin had predicted, Piper's battle group arrives at Lien Creek. Beyond this final bridge lay open, the roads to the Meuse and his prize of Antwerp.
Cypher can only stare helplessly as his planned capture of Antwerp goes up in flames and splinters. At this time, after the Lien Creek action, Piper actually had nowhere to go. There was no way he was going to reach the Meuse River. Piper turns his force back towards Germany to escape, but it is too late. The engineers have given Patton and Montgomery's armies the critical time they needed to catch and now annihilate Piper's fleeing force. Lieutenant Colonel Joachim Piper escapes to Germany, but only 800 of his 7,000 SS troops survive. He would eventually stand trial at Nuremberg for crimes against humanity. In the few days since the 291st had come across the frozen corpses of murdered American soldiers at Malmody, they had stood in the way of everything evil and won. They did it with tiny numbers, puny weapons, and gigantic hearts. The stubborn defenders of Bastogne got most of the headlines after they were rescued by the big hero generals. But as much as anyone, it was a ragtag handful of combat engineers who saved the bulge and denied Hitler his victory and tainted peace. Bob Cresswell. I don't want to say we saved the whole United States Army, but we had something to do with it. I wouldn't have wanted to be in any other outfit. Francis Heard. We were the most highly decorated combat engineers in the European theater. We didn't know that until 60 years later. Chuck Hensel. Done our job for the service of our country. I would tell anybody that it was the best outfit in the Army. Patrick Rizzieri. Uncomplained. No one was scared. We knew what our job was to be done. We knew we had to defeat the Germans. We knew that the sooner we defeat them, the sooner we get home. The Battle of the Bulge ended on January 25, 1945, and the war in Europe ended three months later on May 7th. Had Piper made it to Antwerp, it is unknown how World War II may have ended. This podcast was produced by the American Heroes Channel. Join us again next week for Against the Odds, the battle for Sugarloaf Hill. The story of the largest amphibious assault in the Pacific and of the hardest fought and bloodiest battle of World War II. I'm your host, Shane Bowler. Thank you for listening.